You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So we're launching a new sermon series today, titled The High Call of Serving. I love the topic revolved around serving. Specifically, what I'm talking about is serving at the church or serving on the church's behalf, serving because it's what God has called us to. As I expressed to our prayer team ministry this past Wednesday, I'm talking to them and I said, you know, if I had to pinpoint in my life when I really felt like the, the Lord just started to use me, when I spiritually started to take root, I would say it's when I started serving, when I started getting involved uh, as a teenager in our kids ministry. And I can just tell you right now that there is nothing like seeing a childlike faith before your eyes and seeing children give their hearts to the Lord. And then years later, seeing them serve the Lord into adulthood. There is nothing that matches that feeling of saying, I can't believe that God used me as a part of the process to touch and impact their lives. Nothing like it. And same way, as I started to grow older and started to go on missions trips and started to serve in a a higher capacity at our church and through our church, I noticed that my personal relationship with Jesus started to take root. And I want to talk as to why that is. Why is it that we start to take root when we start to serve, when we start to take Uh, hearing and put it into action. Why is that? What goes on in that moment? That's our goal this morning is to talk about the high calling of service. We're also going to be touching in in 1 Samuel chapter 6. If you want to turn there in a couple moments, we're going to be getting to 1 Samuel chapter 6 where, you know, you have this unlikely character of David and he receives a high calling. Nobody recognized him as the chosen one, except for the one that God called. His own family didn't necessarily recognize the calling on his life. Can I just tell you, before we even get started into this sermon series, that God is going to call you to do some unlikely things. Somebody give me an amen this morning. God's going to call you to do things that you didn't know you were capable of doing, but through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, you're going to accomplish it. There's something so divine about saying, Lord, here I am, send me. And when we have that kind of obedience, it gives God and the Holy Spirit permission to take you outside of your comfort zone. It is an unmatched adventure. There is nothing like it. Are you ready to jump into this topic this morning, church? The high call of serving. Before we get to uh, 1 Samuel, I just want to talk about this concept just for a few more moments of serving. Now, I realize that in our culture, serving others, how many of you would agree that it is a topic that is rarely spoken about? I mean, honestly, just back up for a minute and think about what is on the news at 11 o'clock at night. If you're looking for joy, you're not going to find it 11 o'clock on the news. I'm just telling you right now, for every 300 stories of just depression and what's happening in the world and our country's going down the tube and this person fought this person and all of the crime rates, for every 300 stories that are just kind of messed up and you look at and you're like, oh Lord, come quickly. And you're hearing all of this negativity. There's one story where like the news is like, oh, and a lost dog got found. But besides that, And then they jump into like 300 more stories of just doom and gloom. Do y'all hear what I'm talking about? 
And then, I mean, Lord forbid you open up your social media account because then not only do you have doom and gloom, but you have personal opinions topped on to doom and gloom. And it just, our culture is, I would say, infatuated with negativity, bringing out people's past, their wrongs, focusing on the bad. And I really do believe that our our society tries to get us into a fight or flight mentality. Why is that? Because when we're in a fight or flight mentality, we don't think righteously. We don't think with wisdom. We think fight or flight. And so we constantly have this culture that's pressuring us, trying to get us to act out of instincts, which how many of you know that never works out well? Doom and gloom. And it's constantly shoved in our faces. And then we have this topic of serving, which I think most of us could agree that how how many of you have ever experienced what it's like to give somebody else joy? I mean, we just finished the Christmas season a few months ago, and there's something so joyful about doing an act of service for somebody or blessing someone or going out of your way. And maybe it's even something as simple as a donation and this this kind of concept of serving others and doing good for other human beings brings us joy and delight. And yet as a culture, we completely reject this topic. And I'll elaborate on this point as we move forward this morning, but I truly believe that God put a seed in the heart of man, the desire to do good, the desire to serve others. And as we live our lives, it's not a matter of if God instilled that seed in our hearts. It's a matter of, will we water it with a relationship with Jesus? Will we water it with biblical teaching or will we suffocate it with selfish desires? But inevitably, I believe that God instills this seed in our hearts of the desire to serve others and do good. And I believe that that's a part of what's causing our culture so much confusion right now because every message is about self, creating your own empire, your own destiny, being your own God, and so on and so forth. And yet people are coming to the conclusion that they're not satisfied. Why? Because I believe that seed in their hearts isn't getting watered. And so it ends up in frustration and anger and bitterness. Is this making sense this morning? And there's this beautiful message that the Lord gives us of a high calling that's been placed on our lives that directly links us to our God-given purpose and satisfies that seed that's in our hearts to serve. And I wanna elaborate on this high calling that we are given because make no mistake, you know, when, when creating this sermon, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was like a high calling. It's not just serving. Serving is something that you just do. You kind of, I have to serve. But when it's a high calling, how many of you know that there is something so significant about receiving a call and feeling like you have to? We've received a high calling to serve. Is this making sense? You still with me? Still love Jesus? Amen. My first point with you this morning, and I know it's simple. You were created for a purpose bigger than yourself. 
And I like to do reality checks as a church where we point out these, these simple truths because, you know, I find it ironic that we're taught when we're children about like hygiene and genuine, you know, cleanliness, right? And now there's a virus that's quote unquote breaking out and in different cultures. And I heard this statistic on the news uh, the other day that only 7% of our population knows how to properly wash their hands. I'm like, are you kidding me? Wash your hands. (laughs) Like, it's so simple. And they're literally having this complicated meeting about stopping this outbreak. And they're like, what do we do? Dear God, should we get vaccines? And literally the person from the CDC is like, wash your hands. (laughs) And it's so basic. And yet our culture has forgotten it. And I don't ever want to be at a church where we forget basic fundamentals to our relationship with Jesus. So this point is a reality check, not only reminding us, but also equipping us to share this message with others when they're dissatisfied in life, to remind them you were created for a purpose that is bigger than you. Amen, pastor. Rick Warren released a book in the mid-2000s that I had mentioned last week titled The Purpose Driven Life. This book, I'm so interested about statistics revolved around this book, The Purpose Driven Life, because friends, it shook our American culture, shook us. In the early 2000s, when he first released this book, The Purpose Driven Life, it sold more than 30 million copies in its first few years of existence. It was on the New York Times bestselling list for more than 90 weeks. This book was highlighted in multiple news networks and just seemed to grow momentum as time went on to the point to where to this day, churches are still using this curriculum to remind us that we have purpose. This book was not just touching hearts and churches, but our society as a whole. Here's how crazy this this book became. NFL player Ray Lewis was so deeply impacted by the book that he gave it to America's swimming star, Michael Phelps. Before Michael Phelps went into rehab, Michael, Michael began to experience something so divine through reading this book that he began to earn the reputation in rehab, Preacher Mike. And during an interview, Mike was noted for saying, it's turned me into a believer that there is power greater than me and that I have a purpose on this planet. Now pause for a moment. You see what just happened? The multi-millionaire swimming star who has been noted that his height and the way that his, if you study the reason why Michael Phelps is so successful, they note that his feet are shaped in the perfect way that he, it's like he has flippers. And I would say his purpose is so handcrafted around this sport. And yet the multimillionaire did not say that he found purpose in being an Olympian. He didn't say he found purpose in anything else, but when he received a book that talked about God's purpose for his life. Wow. Multi-millionaire 
world-recognized Olympian just said that he didn't find purpose in anything else but God's purpose. God has handcrafted each and every one of us, friends, for his purpose, to serve one another. Jesus taught us how to do life. Did you know that? And the story of Jesus is so unique because he comes down on our level, teaches us how to do life. And he teaches this principle in Matthew 20, 28. And once again, we'll be getting to 1 Samuel in just a couple moments. Matthew 20, 28 says this, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for ransom for many. Friends, here's my point. Serving connects us to our purpose. It's as simple as that. Serving connects us to our purpose. And I want to be clear this morning. Sometimes we believe that serving means growing in our relationship with Jesus, means more Bible studies, more prayer groups, more worship. And while I agree that that is awesome and that will you know, fill your spiritual tank and cause some growth, the main point that Jesus was talking about was not a Bible study. He was, the main point that he was getting at was putting the word into action to physically serve, to physically live out, not to attend a Bible study. I believe that sometimes one of the last things that an individual needs for spiritual growth is a Bible study. The first thing that they need is a missions trip because there's something that the Holy Spirit begins to do in our work in our life. The work that he begins to do is just so unmatched when we begin to step back and say, all right, God, I'm going to live this out. And this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask our digital media team to have that video ready. That We recently sat down with one of our church leaders, and this is something that we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, is I want us to hear the stories of how individuals are serving here at C3 and what God is doing in and through their lives. And friends, please, I just want to say this as well. That my objective, my objective this morning is not to guilt anyone into a serving position here at C3. I just want to be clear at that. My, my purpose this morning is hoping that the Holy Spirit will bring us into a reality check that we were created to serve, that we were created to live out this thing that we call Christianity. Amen. 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 Would you play that video? I'm Matt Russo. I'm the Royal Rangers ministry coordinator here at Crossroads Community Church. I mean, as, as Americans, we're well, well aware of the divorce rates throughout the U.S. So uh, the Royal Rangers ministry is just one of, one of those um, anchors in an unstable area where boys who come from broken homes, potentially without fathers, uh, they have that opportunity to have a father figure in their life. Uh, they're, they're with generally the same commanders on a weekly basis. That allows you to build a relationship with them. And as time goes on, they start to look up to you and, and essentially want to emulate you some, sometimes. Um, so what we try to do is we keep to a, a specific routine, Bible studies, devotions, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, at the end uh, of each night, we close with our devotion. And that just allows um, not necessarily one-on-one time, but a little heart to heart more so from the leaders to, to the boys. Obviously, when you're younger, you don't necessarily appreciate it as much. But something that I always say related to 
uh, kids ministry is you're planting seeds. So you don't necessarily see the immediate effects of, of what you're doing for these, for these boys or, or these young children. However, over time, um, you just pray that those are going to uh, develop within them and um, that they'll be blessed through it. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, you see that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And to me, it's a, it's a change, of, change of mindset. A lot of times, you know, as Christians going off to church, you think, all right, what what is God going to do for me? And, and how am I going to be blessed on a Sunday morning or whenever I go? Um, so it's it's a change of, of thinking. And at, at some point, you just reach that, that process of, God, what what can I do to serve you? Like, like I said, there's, there's times when we do the devotions at the end, and it's, it's a very short few-minute period that we have. And sometimes you could just tell that the stories that are shared just kind of pierce their hearts, and that is such a blessing to see. Uh, Aaron and I both do the, the kindergarten to uh, second age group, um, but, but just the questions that are, that are prompted after sharing our, our devotion and the discussion that we get into, I mean, for, for young elementary school kids, it is just so amazing to see sometimes. It really is. And you know that God is working. And then that, again, planting seeds is what we're hoping for and praying for. I love the way that Matt framed it out when he said, sometimes we show up to church saying, what's God going to do for me? But when we serve, it transitions us to what can I do for God? And I ask us, what, what are we currently doing in our lives on a weekly basis? Something for God. What, what are we doing in our lives that's a service project that we have going on currently? If anything, is there something? If you're drawing a blank and you say, you know what, pastor, I, I'm, I'm really not sure, you know, what area I can get involved in of, of ministry. I, can I just say, like, come ask us. Because there's nothing that matches the feeling. And, and Matt, I, I just want to give you and Aaron and our World Rangers ministry some credit, man, because... He hit the nail on the head when he said, we're here planting seeds. Can I just say as a former youth pastor, can I be real with you this morning? It wasn't always fun planting seeds. (laughs) I wanted to see a pine tree. (laughs) I didn't want to plant the seed for a pine tree. I wanted to see a pine tree. (laughs) I wanted to see, you know, some kind of fruit tree, something, Lord Jesus, There were some nights where I would get in my car and I talked to God on the way home. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know if our youth worship team knows Jesus. They're not acting like it. Some nights where I'm sitting there going, if this is the Christian kids, I don't want to see the unchristian kids. And then you have those moments years later where you have a student who comes up to you and says, Pastor Donnie, the Lord down at the altar just called me into full-time youth ministry. And you have those moments where you look at that student and you go, God, really? You picked this one? (laughs) The least likely out of the bunch. And you have those moments where you have students coming up to you and saying, Pastor Donnie, I'm, I'm going to a Christian university to become a missionary. And you begin to see that, that seed sprout forth and you go, oh, thank Jesus. (laughs) We were created to serve. Serving connects us to our purpose for existence. The son of man came to serve, not to be served, and we should follow suit. Amen, church. Come on, somebody. 
You are called to serve. Called. If you're taking notes, capitalize called. You are called. Here's what it means to be called, because here's, here's where it differentiates from having to do. It means that you are chosen. To be chosen is kind of like back in grade school when we played a game and, you know, they're picking teams and you just thank God that you weren't the last one to be called. You were chosen. And what a sigh of relief because you're kind of like, oh, finally, I have this community to belong to. Do you see where I'm getting at? To be chosen means that you were hand-selected, that God designed you when he put you on this earth. The day that you were born, even, was a timeline that is divine, not by coincidence. The age that you are, I believe, is revolved around your purpose for such a time as this, that God handcrafted you for things to be done here in 2020. Amen, church? You are chosen. Don't ever take that for granted. We don't serve a God that we have to kind of come to him and say, Lord, I don't think you can use me. Um, Maybe if I serve you for five to 10 years, then I'll be worth it. It's not based off of worth. It's based off the fact that he died for you. Grace was given and therefore you are called. You are chosen. To be called not only means chosen, but thank God it means you are given an identity. No matter your past, no matter what you may lack in the sight of man, You are who God says you are. And lastly, you have authority. To be called means you have authority. When I was a youth pastor and I walked into a a room and there was a service project or or something that we were doing, I, I didn't question if I was the one who should be giving direction. Why? Because I had authority because I had been given the title youth pastor. I knew that there were certain events that we could do and certain events that we could not do. Why? Because there was responsibility with that authority. But nonetheless, even with my children, whenever I discipline my children, I don't question if I have the right to. I have the authority. Why? Because I'm dad. You are called and chosen, friends. You are given authority. Come on, somebody. You are given authority to do what you've been called to do. You are called. In just a moment, we're going to turn to Matthew, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 16. I had made a mistake and said six. That's chapter 16. And I also just want to point out this fact with our calling. We're chosen. We're given an identity. We've been given authority. And sometimes we're called to do a job that we didn't think we were called to do. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes what God calls us to do, we never saw it coming. Have you ever experienced that? We were kind of like, God, like you must have a sense of humor. (laughs) When I think of being called to do a a job that I didn't see coming, I I think of uh, a paintball outing. Bear with me. We'll get to the point. Trust me. I think of a paintball outing as a youth pastor every year. One of the events that we would do is we would do a paintball outing. If you've never done paintball, it's little guns that shoot paintballs that really, really, really hurt. And the kids love it. And so we're going to this paintball outing where there's fields and it's set up like a military style. There's, you know, trucks everywhere and bunkers that you can hide in. And it's just, it's mass chaos unleashed. It's great. Glory to God. 
And so we go to this paintball outing and it's time for our team to play capture the flag. Our team had been losing. And if you know me, I am competitive. When I play a game, I play to win. Anybody else in this room with me? I can't, when somebody says, oh, it's just for fun. I'm like, that's what losers say. (laughs) I'm in it to win it. Pastor Don, it's just checkers. I don't care. King me. So we show up to this paintball field and we'd been getting beat up all day. And I'm like, I've had enough of this. I'm like, so help me God, kids, you will walk home. And I'm sitting there and we're ready to play capture the flag. And I said, here's the deal. They're going to blow the fog horn. The refs are. And that means it's go time. Whoever gets the flag back to their, you know, area, their safe zone, the fastest wins. It's pretty simple. I said, here's what we're going to do. And this is where I got myself into trouble. I said, I need somebody to put their paintball gun down on the ground and you're just going to be a runner. Your only job is to run down that field as fast and as hard as you can while taking on fire. We're going to give cover fire. Oh, I was into it. Like, we're going to provide suppressive fire. We're going to run down. And our runner, who is unarmed, is going to get that flag and run it back. Who wants to run? And they pointed to me. Like, you got to be kidding me. And they're like, one of the senior guys is like, it's your idea. You're walking home. <laughs> and so the foghorn sounds, and I run like there is no tomorrow. Like the creatures out of the book of Revelation are chasing me, I am running. And we won the game in 20 seconds. We won. And I remember the ref looking and he said, in all my years, (laughs) I've never seen anyone do that. He goes, you're either really smart or really stupid. I said, I believe the former. (laughs) I was called to do a job that I didn't think I would be doing. And when you give your God, yes, just be prepared to do things that you never saw coming. And I say that in a positive way, just like the paintball thing. It's fun. It's silly. I get it. We won. And when you begin to tell God, yes, and he begins to call you to do things that you didn't see coming. Can I just tell you that it is an unmatched experience? You never saw it coming, but because you said yes, it opened the door for it to happen. So many testimonies that I've heard are individuals who said, you know what, pastor? I didn't think I'd come on the missions trip, but here I am. I've heard testimonies of individuals who have served their their community at different homeless ministry outreaches for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. And they said, you know how this all started? How's that? I said yes to one night. And here I am. First Samuel chapter 16, verses six through 13. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance on the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and get him for we will sit down. We will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was a handsome man. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What just happened? The Lord sends Samuel to find out his chosen one. Everyone who you would think was the chosen one, stronger in stature, bigger individuals. Lord says, nope, not that one. Then David. And I always ask myself this question when reading this passage. Why didn't Jesse bring David in the first place? Could it be, just entertain this idea for a moment, that his own father did not think that he was the likely choice? Could it be that Jesse almost hid David in that moment saying, you know what, it's not even worth the time. These other men, they'll be king. They're stronger, bigger in stature, maybe speak a little bit more elegantly. I don't know. But why didn't Jesse send for David in the first place? And I believe, I can speculate that it was because he didn't even believe that this individual's son would be king. But God looks at him and says, this is the one I've chosen. And friends, when that anointing oil is placed on him, it means that David is marked. You know that you're marked by God. It means that he's chosen. Anointing oil was a sign of protection. It was a sign of authority. It was a sign of identity. Do you see what I'm getting at? It was a sign that he was chosen. Friends, whenever you began your relationship with Jesus, the moment that you said, Lord, take my heart, it's yours, you were chosen. And that moment you received your calling. Maybe you weren't aware of it before, but from that day forward, you can honestly look around and say, you know what? God put his anointing on me. I am chosen. You're chosen. You have Holy Spirit power. Imagine what David would have missed if his response was, I'm going to wait until I have life altogether. I believe in our culture, that's what happens sometimes, right? We don't want to jump into serving because maybe it's a feeling of unworth. Pastor, you don't know the mistakes I've made. I'm just not ready. 
pastor, you don't, my schedule is crazy right now. I'm just going to wait until it calms down. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, David would have missed the opportunity to slay a giant had he waited to say, I'm going to wait till I have it all together. I hope that my first response whenever God calls me to do something isn't, Lord, wait. But it's God, if this is what you've called me to do, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it with authority, identity, because I know I've been chosen. Why? Because friends, when we serve, it connects us to our God-given purpose. I've heard too many stories of individuals who have gone to do incredible things There's one individual, I'll share this story before I introduce my closing point. One individual missionary in the Middle East by the name of Joe Gordon. And Joe was your average blue collar construction worker kind of guy. And one day in his mid thirties, the Lord got a hold of him in an altar call. And he said, I think the Lord is calling me the missions. And he goes on the missions field. Joe Gordon goes to a rough area. And while he's there, he hears stories about a tribe up in the mountains that nobody has ever reached. They've had people come down the mountain who have told stories, but nobody's ever taken Christianity to them or a gospel message. They were known for different pagan beliefs and everybody was kind of afraid of them. And Joe immediately in that moment felt like the Lord said, go. And so Joe takes his ministry team and packs up and they head towards the top of the mountain. And they're on their way to this village and it takes a couple days for him and his team to even get there because of the rough terrain. They finally arrive after three to four days of just straight traveling, hiking, whatever it took to get to these people. So he approaches the village and he begins, he begins to tell them about Jesus. And their team is taken and beaten to the point to where one individual was in critical condition for a few months. And they said, if you ever come back here again, we'll not only kill you, but we'll burn you in front of one another. So Joe leaves, a couple months pass by. Joe's in his prayer time. This is about a half a year later at this point. And he hears the Lord saying, go back. So he gathers his ministry team and he says, we're going to go back. And I know this is what the Lord has called me to. If he's called you as well, then come along. If you have reservations, then I understand. So they write out their wills and their letters to their families because they believe they're going to go to this place and that they're going to be killed. So a couple days into the trip, they're just praying the whole time. They just know that they're called. Not sure how this is going to result, what the end result is going to be. They just know that they're called. So go, Joe approaches the village and an individual riding up on a yak begins to smile And Joe's like, this is great. Not only are they going to kill us, but they're happy to. (laughs) Wonderful. And the individual who was one of the leaders of this tribe 
came up and he said, you were here six months ago, weren't you? He said, yes, that's me. He said, I was one of the individuals who beat you and threw you out. And he said, follow me. And so this team of missionaries follows him to the middle of the village. And the chief of this tribe comes out. And he looks at them and he begins to weep. And he says, since you've left, we have had plague after plague hit this area. We didn't know how to reach you. And so we cried out and said to the God of those men, if you're real, you will send them back. And to this day, that tribe on that day took all of their idols out, burned them in the middle of the village and is now known as a Christian tribe. Come on, somebody. He knew that he was called. Sometimes, friends, that's all you need to have the authority. Sometimes all you need is that realization, I'm called. And then your responsibility is to move into action. You are called. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're called. And lastly, as the worship team makes their way forward, Serving is a participatory sport, not a spectator sport. Serving the Lord means that we participate. We're not spectators. James 1, 22 through 27 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues and deceive themselves, their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless and is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What I love about this passage is James talks about growth in our personal relationship with Christ, right? He hit the nail on the head with that one. But then he concludes this passage by giving a real life example. He not only says, I want you to go serve, but then he looks at two people groups that during biblical times were the definition of the least of these. Pushed aside, looked at by other men as worthless. Women during this biblical time did not have the same worth as a man which is why Jesus shattered through that. That's why Jesus met at the well with a woman. That's why Jesus said, let the children come unto me as he preached equality. And then you have James here who says, not only are you called to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but you're called to serve. Oh, and by the way, here's how you serve. The least of these. And friends, I just look at that and I can't help but feel like we're, that is just such a call to participate. And in our American culture, and once again, I just want to get real for our last couple moments together. In our American culture, we have built churches upon the belief that we are called to spectate. 
that as long as you keep sending your tithe in, you're good. As long as you keep warming that church seat, you're good. And we have these giant arenas and I'm not speaking down against big churches, our desires to grow. It's what God has called us to do, but we have built these huge belief systems revolved around an entertainment industry within the church where it doesn't go beyond that. And can I just say that, man, it, it, I prefer to get in the midst of what I'm called to do. An example is, I love hockey. I love contact sports. If it doesn't have contact in it or an engine, I don't know if I consider it a sport, just being honest with you. And so I love contact sports. One of my favorite hockey teams, please don't boo, Pittsburgh Penguins. Thank you, three of you. Sports system, yeah. I love the Pittsburgh Penguins and I love going to professional hockey games. I love it. If you've never been to a professional hockey game, (laughs) it's the next best thing to revival. I'm just saying. When you go and your team scores, you might not even know the person you're left, but you're hugging them, jumping up and down, go, yeah, maybe that's just me. There's such a celebration. The atmosphere is so contagious. The energy in the building, when, when they're singing the national anthem and, and the game is about to start, you can't help but have chills. The experience to watch this happen is crazy. And you're all kind of united because you all have your team's jersey on and it's kind of like, yeah, we're here for the same purpose, our team. And anytime the opposing team you know, scores, you're all collectively going, boo. Maybe there's not spiritual fruit in that, but we do it anyways. And this whole experience of going to the professional game is awesome. And I love it. And I enjoy it. But can I tell you that as somebody who grew up playing hockey, there's, I, still, I still prefer to get in the game. Because there's nothing that matches There's nothing that matches what it's like to put the gloves on. There's nothing that matches what it's like to score from your own personal experience. There's nothing that matches what it's like to sit on the bench with your teammates and have that camaraderie and to be a part of the chatter rather than observing it. There's nothing that matches when you are down two goals and you're sweaty and you feel like you're going to die if you have to do one more breakaway and you're sitting there and you're all are exhausted and you work up the, the last little bit of energy that you have to at least match the score so that you have a chance at winning. There's nothing like coming home from being exhausted from spending yourself and having that satisfaction because you're a competitive redhead that you won the game. There's nothing that matches participating. Even if it's professional sports, I look and I'm like, I'd rather be playing. Even going to a professional hockey game, I look at that and I'm like, I would rather be sweating and in the game than watching. And friends, I feel like 
every Sunday, we're faced with two choices as a church in the United States. Hear me out as we close. We show up and we park in the same general area that we always park in. And we walk in and we talk to the same usual people that we talk to. And we worship to songs that we're used to singing on a regular basis. We hear a message that kind of amps us up, encourages us. Thank God for that. And then we go back out to where we usually park. We get in our car and we go home and do our always Sunday routine. And we had a successful day being a spectator. But then you have the flip side of this. And once again, I'm not trying to guilt anyone into jumping on the serving team here at C3. My main point is that you were created to serve. It is your God-given purpose. If you aren't able to serve here at C3, then my encouragement and challenge is serve God with something. Because there's nothing that matches showing up to church parking where other individuals who serve are parking to hear the game chatter of what God is doing in different ministry departments to see it lived out to be a part of an altar call where God breaks an addiction or transforms somebody's life to hear your child come upstairs my daughter this just gets me every time who runs up to me with a picture of Jesus and recites the basic gospel message of how much Jesus loves her. Why? Because somebody decided to participate rather than spectate. And as a result of that, as a lead pastor, I get to watch my daughter grow in her faith. Why? Because somebody built the connection that I am built, chosen, and called to serve. And as a result of their obedience, my three-year-old now has a foundation of Christ. Come on, somebody. There's nothing that could ever compare to watering the seed that God has put in the hearts of all of us by serving Him. My challenge to you this morning, church. If you say, Pastor Donnie, I'm kind of new back into this thing with my relationship with Jesus. I'm just kind of starting out. Can I just encourage you? That is the perfect time to serve Jesus. If you say, Pastor Donnie, I've been serving Jesus for like 40 years. I'm a professional. Let's keep on doing it then. I believe that in these last days that God is going to be using and looking to churches that are being his hands and his feet. In church, I know this is bold, and I know this might sound a little selfish. I want it to be us. I want it to be C3. And I just want to reiterate that point. If you're not able to serve here, then my challenge to you is serve the Lord somehow. Put his word into action. Amen, church. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads with us? And I'm just going to ask in your, in your own way where you are, would you ask that question? Lord, what would you have me do? can I do for you? How would you use me? 
would you just begin to ask God honestly, just begin to ask him that question. And here's your homework for the week. Build off of that question and seek answers as to how God wants to use you and what he wants to use you for. Because friend, one, you're not here by coincidence. And two, it's not a matter of if God has called you. I hope that we cleared that up today. It's not a matter of if God called you. It's Lord, what have you called me to? So Father, I just pray over every individual who has their head bowed in this moment. God, one of the most beautiful things that you call us to do is to be your hands and feet. What an honor and privilege it is to see lives transformed and to sit back and think, Lord, you used me as a part of the process. How humbling it is, Lord, to serve you. The God who put breath in our lungs, the God who created us from the dust of the earth, the God who is never caught off guard by anything, the God who knows the future, who holds the world in the palm of his hand, the God who has so divinely created every living, living, breathing creature here on earth, that that God has called me, has called us to serve. We are so unworthy of this calling, Lord. We are so unworthy of this authority that you've given us. And yet, by the power of your Holy Spirit in a relationship with you, you give it to us. So Lord, I pray over C3 Church as we ask the question kind of like the little boy who brought his lunch what would you have me do and you fed 5,000 you did it you did immeasurably more than what we could do I pray that you would do that with our hearts that as we come to you and say Lord I don't have a lot but here it is that you would take that and multiply that and Lord We want to see the lost saved. So help us, God. Guide us, lead us, direct us into whatever it is that you would have us do. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Mike's going to close us out with this song, and I'm going to come up and close us out with prayer. I just want to encourage you as we sing this song about God's love just wrecking our hearts, just opening us up. Can you just please do me a favor? Stay in that attitude of asking God, Lord, what would you have me do? As long as we're willing to be the answer to what he tells us. Amen, church. I said amen, church. Amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at c3lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.